Welcome to Panel Up, your monthly pop culture panel. I'm John Campbell. And I am Mike Gurgoni. Mm, there's always that nice feeling of where we get to shake the 70s off for a little while. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, okay, all right. We're back to modern day storytelling. Um, and, but we're, we're, we're staying in the Star Wars universe at least a little bit this, uh, this Let's, month. Uh, Let's shake off any nostalgia we have for the 1970s and start talking about things with deeply nostalgic for the 1960s and the 1970s. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Oh man, yeah. This is this is an interesting. This is the first time we've done at least on this thing a, a, a two for two topics. Uh, this, but they're both star based franchises, mm-hmm. uh, which means I can bust out my Star Trek hat and my Captain Picard mug. By the way, it says Captain Picard Day. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Look, that is just a thing they do on starships to trick the children into worshipping the uh, hierarchy of Starfleet. That's what Lower Decks has taught me. Uh, There you go. Indeed, indeed. Uh, But before we dive into uh, this month's main topics, let's talk about some what else we're kind of digging right now, as we always do up top here. Gurgoni, what are you uh, what are you into right now? What are you watching, playing, reading? Star Wars and Star Trek, mostly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I just started playing uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor um, over this last week. Oh, my God. That game is... I'm only like 10 or 12 hours into it so far. But well, you're farther than I am, but I mean, I just started playing it yesterday because it finally finished downloading. Have you gotten off of Coruscant yet? Yeah, I just I've gotten through all the Coruscant stuff. Yeah. Okay. 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 Have you gotten to the second world yet? I don't want to spoil too much because the game just no, came I out. No, I've, I've literally I've just done the Coruscant stuff. Okay. 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 Um, I will Which, say, it's for a great. Star Wars thing, it's so good. But just as a video game sequel, it does mm-hmm. the thing that I love when sequels do, which is, okay, all of those abilities you unlocked over the first game, you're just going to start with those, like right off the bat. And like, it's so frustrating sometimes in video games when you go to the sequel of a game and like, they have to concoct some reason why your character starts back off at square one. If it's a continuation of the same character. I mean, it was pretty loose in the first game that you're like, wait, you forgot how to use the, okay, I'll give it to you video game. But it was always like, but I like, I'm, I'm glad this, in Star yeah. Wars, there's a little bit of precedence for that of just like, okay, cutting yourself off from the force and like your abilities atrophy a little bit. That can be a thing. And that's it been a be thing. A, but I just remember being a little bit like, this is very video gamey. Yeah. But I, sure. I, I know how to force pull, but not force push. That makes no sense. Um, and it's, it's not too big of a spoiler because it happens within the first like 15 minutes of the game. But the fact that this game immediately starts you off with almost all of the abilities you had from the first game and then gives you a fucking grappling hook. Oh baby. <laughs> grappling hook is cool. You get to do the Jedi mind trick in it. Um, right. Yeah, that was fun. That's the thing that is cool. You start with all the abilities and so instead of of having to regain those, you actually gain more force abilities in it, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. And starting with already, you've got the 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 proper lightsaber and you can switch between single or double-bladed, and then, of course, you can also split, which is just cool as hell. And based on just, like, the the skill trees and what I'm seeing in the menus, I think there's going to be other lightsaber styles that get unlocked down the road. Because there's a whole, you know, section within, when you go to, when you do the meditation thing, there's the whole section of it where it has your ability to choose 
you know, fighting styles or stances of, of lightsaber ability. So I mm. figured it's probably going to be more than just the three that are there. But yeah. it's great. It, it addresses so many of my, you know, small quibbles. I love the first game, but there are things like anything where I'm like, that's kind of annoying. And this almost immediately, I'm like, wow, you guys fixed like five of the annoying little things about this. I mean, small things like not having to push a button to stay climbing on a wall. Yeah. Uh, that's that's huge. Uh, being the kind of video game player I am, um, telling me where to go on a map, having navigation hints is huge because I spent a lot of that first game going, have I already been in this chamber? Was I well, here before? And what I really, really love about this game in particular is the amount of accessibility options available to you. Oh, yeah. This game has gone above and beyond what most video games do in terms of making it a very, very accessible experience, no matter what type of person you are playing this game, to the point where there's even an option to... There's an arachnophobia setting to make spider-like enemies less spider-like. I don't know I what did. that means. I haven't toggled it. <laughs> no, I haven't either. I, you know, and I've seen a lot of people mock that, and I'm like, I, I get. I mean, it's it's kind of silly, but at the same time, eh, who's but, at harm to offer that? Exactly. Like, why is it a problem that you're just offering it for people who might want the option? Like, you don't have to use it just in the same way that, like, am I going to leave the dismemberment option on? Yes, absolutely. Because I like seeing stormtroopers' arms fly off. Uh, that's another thing I will say. The stormtrooper kills are so much more varied and awesome in this game. Oh, man. And, like, you have, like, a partner character sometimes in the game. Yeah. Right off the bat, you have Bode with you, who's, like, a <laughs> jetpack-wielding mercenary type. Yeah. And, uh, some of the combo kills that you pull off with oh, yeah. your partner character are rad. And they got shown off in the trailer a little bit as well. They did, but I'm just going like, man, because, you know, there were a handful of ones in the first game, but I feel like, man, they really upped. <laughs> like, I just murdered the bejesus out of that stormtrooper. Yeah, no, I'm excited to get more into the game. And look, spoilers to what I'm doing after we record the podcast. Today. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> going to be at least a chunk of my later day as well. Um, uh, it's great, though. It's, but, it's so much fun. Yeah, so I've been doing that. Um, I'm re-watching Voyager right now. Uh, so, like, this... The other, one of the shows we're talking about today was like weirdly prescient to be watching Voyager at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about when we get to Star Trek Picard, but uh, as much of a next generation sequel as it is, it's quite a bit a Deep Space Nine and Voyager sequel as well. It's a big Deep Space Nine sequel, which is so Quite weird considering the only Deep Space Nine character who shows up is Worf. I found that yeah. odd. Yeah. I did. Like, well, yeah. I, I'll keep, just keep the show kept reminding me that my beloved Odo has passed on in real life. I know. I just yeah. kept going, God damn it, if only we had Odo there. Um, <laughs> and like, we'll talk about it when we get into Picard, but like, yeah. This, sh this season really did feel like it was trying to be the capstone on a bunch of different shows but it had to keep coming back to the next generation stuff a lot of people talk about it it's 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 a finale not just for next generation but for that entire like 90s star trek yeah that's what it sort of felt like and i'm rewatching voyager right now i haven't even gotten to the seven of nine stuff yet in my rewatch yeah uh, we're still we're still enjoying episodes with kess <laughs> Ooh, enjoying and Kess in the same sentence. Uh, interesting. I, I, with no. fresh eyes, oh, I think Kess is a decent enough character. They're really aping some X-Men stuff, is all I'll say. 
Yeah, I mean, Cass, one of Cass's problems is they her power set ebbs and flows all the time, depending on what they need her to do for the oh, yeah. plot. 100%. Um, she's Jean Yeah, and I'll say this. she's not. She doesn't irritate me as much as Neelix does. Well, Neelix, I have a whole other set of issues with Neelix, mostly the fact that he's in a relationship with a two-year-old. Because Cass's yeah. species only... Yeah, like lasts for nine years or something. Is how yeah. long they live. Yeah, Kess and Neelix are are just a weird aspect in that show that mm-hmm. always felt othered to me. And then uh, particularly once she leaves, and then they really once she leaves and Seven comes in, then it's really like, okay, what do we do with Neelix? Um, <laughs> and the answer is uh, different stuff all the time. And every time I watch Voyager, I'm like, all right, this guy's here the whole show. Yeah, and, like, I don't know. I like him bouncing off of Tuvok, and I like him bouncing he's, off of Chakotay. Better in things that aren't about him, like yeah. in reaction to other characters. I actually feel the same way about Chakotay. I like Chakotay in stories about commanding the ship, but when they deal with Chakotay, like Native American mysticism, you're like, eesh. I actually went on a really deep dive of reading uh, a lot of essays about Chakotay and how they handle the the Native American stuff with him and just how much of a blend of a bunch of different cultures it is and how problematic yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, th- they yeah. handle it as well as a bunch of white people who think they're trying to handle it well would do it. I mean, it is like a lot of Star Trek, right? It is sort of a thing where it's like, uh, I know you guys have the best of intentions. I know you do. And I can feel that. They think Mm -hmm. they're doing a great job. And so much is saved by the fact that Robert Beltran is really good in the part, right? Like, so much is I really like that guy. But there are times, most Chakotay-centric episodes are like, oh, God. I just watched the one where they find his ancestors on yeah. a different yeah. planet. Yeah. And that's the one that actually like really confuses what his actual heritage is because that one outright states that his tribe is Central American in origin, even though all the yeah. rituals he's performing are like American Southwest, like Apache and like yeah. Sioux stuff. Right. Yeah. And he says in the pilot what I can't remember what, what tribe he's actually from, he says in the pilot, because Paris says something, and he goes, actually, I'm Dakota, or something like that. But once again, all that gets, con- the more detail they add to it, the more confusing it is that you could put a label on anything this guy comes from. Yeah, no, um, exactly. And he becomes a collection of, it is very much a, it is what I often complain about on network TV and even some streaming shows where it's like it's box checking where it's like we've got a Native American. So all he represents all Native Americans. And you're like, yeah, that's not yeah, good. No. And especially in Star Trek, which has always been or at least strive to be a little bit more high minded about that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, it, it, it makes for. It put me on a path of some very interesting reading, I'll put it that much, and I know that there's been a lot of people who've put a lot of thought into their opinions on Chakotay, and the fact that, like, okay, yes, he is, like, a a, a very problematic stew of different tropes and cultures, but he is also Native American representation on a Star Trek show, yeah. and that was never a thing before. Well, that's, I mean, that's that's kind of the whole of the franchise, right? You go back to the 60s show and you're like, man, a lot of that stuff ages poorly. But when you think about it, in 1966, no one was doing, you know, I mean, that's the thing where it's right. like, 
And some of the Uhura stuff is kind of, but the fact that Uhura is there is gigantic leaps and bounds above other TV. So it's always, you know, you take it all with a grain of salt on that stuff, and you always have to put it in its proper context, right? It right. doesn't mean you don't talk about that stuff, but it is mm -hmm. kind of like, how much do you go? Boy, they were doing the best they can. Once again, I always look at like intention does matter on those things, and they are trying to do a good thing, even if it's still through the last. Yeah, yeah, it's the '90s, man, and it just the the detail wasn't there. No, and that's what I enjoy about the rewatch. Right, is like I don't Voyager is not my particular cup of tea in terms of Star Trek. It's, it's I, probably I'm, the lowest. Well, I, Discovery is my least favorite, but of of that era. Voyager is probably the weakest, although it has some high highs. Sure, it, and, it's probably rewatching it because it is my my girlfriend's favorite show, and like she named her cat after Seven of Nine, and like, sure. uh, like, like I said, she really loves the show, and I'm enjoying it. And what I really enjoy doing while watching it is putting stuff in context of the time, and like a going down the rabbit holes of like continuity stuff, which I always love to do oh, in Star Trek yeah. because it goes. All over the place. Um. Star Trek and Star Trek also, much like Star Wars, has layers of continuity. The thing that Star War or the Star Trek doesn't have is sort of the actual Legends banner. Mm -hmm. uh, you will literally, if you look up a character, um, I listen to a lot of Star Trek podcasts. I know everyone's shocked, um, but uh, <laughs> they did a. They were talking about Voyager. Uh, they looked up the. Um, Oh God! Who are the sisters? I'm trying the Delaney sisters, who are the mm. the that they're that that Paris and Kim are always trying to get with. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, they just looked them up on Memory Alpha and then Memory Beta, which is the the, the rankings of canon. And mm -hmm. like one of the Delaney sisters dies in one book, and another one dies in another comic. But then in some, they're both still alive. Like it's there's a lot of stuff like that where if you for those who don't know memory alpha is like the Star Trek wiki of most yeah. repute that and that's that's the one that's like based around the movies and TV shows and then memory beta is all the books and comics and video games and all the stuff that once again unlike Star Wars has never like officially been branded as not canon but mm -hmm. isn't even consistent amongst itself so we're never we're never gonna be like regarding. Uh, X-Men meets Next Gen as like an no. official part of Picard's story and I don't Planet think X. yeah I don't no. think anyone in this show that we're talking about today had any even awareness that that book even well, exists I love the guys who are writing the current IDW Star Trek title which I highly recommend uh, the, the, all the IDW Star Trek stuff that's, that's going on right now is excellent mm. but IDW needs all the help it can get right now yeah man go out and read those Star Trek books though they're great um, but they talk about, they're going like, we are writing this as if it's canon until a show refutes it. But mm -hmm. like, basically the, the, the interim of next gen and Voyager to Picard is where the comics are sort of taking place in that gap of time. Which is technically where Lower Decks takes place too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, which it's, I find interesting. It's sort of in that, it's in that kind of era. And also they have a Lower Decks comic at IDW that's very good. Mm -hmm. uh, fun. But, uh, but so yeah, I just, th but that is sort of the thing where it's like, well, we consider it canon and, and, and we'll continue that way until a show says this didn't happen. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, like you've seen a bunch of, uh, comics that are continuations of stuff do that in the past. I'm Buffy, the Buffy comic is the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. And Can't obviously that had, had the, yeah. There's a, there's a new Creed comic coming out that is very much like 
Creed 4 until Creed 4 exists. Huh. Weird. Yeah, it, yeah, it takes place 10 years after Creed 3, which just came out. Um, and it's sort of like, uh, well, this this may be it unless we actually make Creed 4 and refute any of this. Okay. Interesting. Huh. Uh, but Micah B. Jordan is, like, outlining it. So, I mean, it's uh, that's as canon as you get, I think. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, a, a long way to say... <laughs> You've been rewatching Voyager. You've been playing Star Wars. That's You're really, much that. You are on brand <laughs> for this show, man. I mean, I'm a I'm a Godzilla movie away from uh, finishing my trifecta. I guess the new teaser for the new Godzilla X Kong movie uh, just dropped. It's called Godzilla X Kong: The Final Empire. Yeah, whatever that means. Yeah. I just like that it's Godzilla X Kong. Like, it's not versus, but they might yeah, be hooking up. Or it's the new Empire. Sorry, the new Empire. Okay, yeah, but it, it's sort of like uh, that X is like this could go either way, man. They are mm-hmm. friendly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a real Goku Vegeta thing going on there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, um, well, let's see. What uh, the? Um, what are you up to? Yeah. Well, no surprise here. I just finished what I just adore, uh, Perry Mason. Season two of Perry Mason just wrapped up. Mm. HBO Max. God damn, that is some of the best noir television I've ever seen. Um, and it once again ended in a very complicated and devastating manner that forced Perry Mason to look at himself and his morals, uh, believe it or not. Um, did he glance at the void within his soul and did the void look back, John? I might have that might have happened. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's a noir story. So <laughs> it's a noir story, and as somebody said at the beginning of the season, is very much the case. Even when you win, you lose, Perry. Yeah. So. Look, if if the main character of a noir story isn't walking away a broken human being who has compromised the last shreds of their decency to accomplish what needed to be done, then what are we even doing here? Yeah, that's it. Uh, 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 and that's very much what it is. He did the right thing at the cost of uh, to himself quite a bit. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's great. Uh, I'm really the show I'm absolutely obsessed with right now, though, is Mrs. Davis on Peacock. Wow. This is an original. The. I keep telling people to watch this because I'm going, number one, not only is it actually original in that it's not based on anything. Friend of the show, Jerry Christman, was going, it's great, John. Is, now, is this based on a comic or something? No, it's a totally original show. It's from uh, Damon Lindelof, who I'm a huge fan of, who did Lost and The Leftovers and Watchmen. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's unlike anything I've seen. It's a science fiction show about a world where basically uh, uh, Alexa, the Amazon app, has T- completely taken over the world but in sort mm. of a benevolent not like skynet way but it's just like oh everybody just does whatever she says accept mm. it uh, everybody wears an earpiece that give that you get instructions from mrs davis which is the the uh, algorithm ai in the show and then it follows the main character is a nun who uh, joins up with a resistance party against mrs davis <laughs> who has asked her who is ta- the, the algorithm has tasked sister simone with finding the holy grail um well, okay i gotta say though but i mean like it, not only does that already sound insane you're like oh another one of these shows uh no uh, oh but, this uh, is betty gilpin from glow betty, cool betty gilpin is the star of jake mcdormand is the 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 male lead and he's great um uh, he was on What We Do in the Shadows, and he was uh-huh, on the Rock uh-huh. series. Um, it's really good, but it's really funny, but also really violent and sad. And it's it, it is wildly original television, which is what I'm looking. I'm looking for a show 
or week to week when I tune in, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is not always the case. So I absolutely love this show. Uh, I think they're five episodes in, um, and I can't recommend it enough. If you have Peacock, you must watch Mrs. Davis. If you're at all a fan of like genre stuff. Um, Looks like there's going to be eight episodes this season. Interesting. Yeah, it's really, really good stuff. Very cool. Um, like I said, yeah. Uh, and, it, uh, and then the other thing that's also a very original and very on brand for another show we do, Meet the Monsters, I went and saw Renfield, which I. Oh, adored. I've been meaning to go see that. I absolutely love this movie. There are sometimes you see movies, I see a lot of movies, uh, and there are a lot I like, but then occasionally I see something like that and I go, damn, I wish I made this. Like I was mm-hmm. jealous that somebody else made this. It is such a good idea for a movie. The idea that it's Renfield, it it literally starts... This isn't a spoiler because it's the beginning of the movie. The prologue of the movie is the 1931 Dracula. Oh, interesting. They reshoot whole scenes of it in black and white, in the close-cropped 133 aspect ratio, reenacting scenes from the 31 movie with Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Holt as Dracula and Renfield. That feels like a Nicolas Cage idea. Like, he's the one who pitched that. (laughs) He's literally doing the, like, I don't drink wine. Yeah. Literally doing all that. And it's great. And you've got Nicholas Holt doing the weird Renfield (laughs) Mm -hmm. meter and stuff like that. Uh, And then it, but then it, that's like the first five minutes of the movie. And then it jumps to modern day. And we have this beat down, codependent, uh, a basically abuse victim that is Renfield. And the whole movie is about him realizing I'm in a toxic relationship with my boss and I need mm-hmm. to do something about this. Cause, and, and this whole idea that he just keeps going, well, it just keeps happening. Every couple years, somebody tries to kill Dracula. He gets almost killed and then I have to nurse him back to health and start the whole thing all over again. He's in this repetitive abuse cycle. Um, and it's great. And he goes and he starts getting therapy and, he, and basically it's about Renfield after a hundred years or so breaking up with Dracula. And it, <laughs> it, the casting's amazing. Nicholas Holt is so lovable as Renfield. You just love this guy, and you, you really are rooting for him. And Nicholas Cage is having the time of his life as Dracula. You can feel in every moment he is jazzed to be doing this. Oh, of course. Like, wasn't, I think there was in some interview uh, years ago where it's just like, there was like three roles I still need to do. And one of them is Dracula. One of them is Dracula. And of course, because he's a huge nerd, he goes, I took this from Lugosi. I borrowed this aspect from Lee. I took this from Oldman and combined Mm -hmm. it into, and that's what I do like about the movie. He does sort of create this amalgam that is sort of like a platonic ideal of a Dracula. All Dracula's mixed together. I mean, that's always the Dracula in my head, right? Is some mm-hmm. kind of like weird platonic ideal with Lugosi's eyebrow, but the fangs of Christopher Lee and the, the joie de vivre of Gary Oldman and like. And then, of course, and a healthy just dash of weird cage decisions in this movie. There's so many weird line readings or physical movements. You're like, wow, nobody else would have done that. And it's so compelling. <laughs> and because he doesn't have to carry the movie, it really allows him you know, there is no over the top when you are Dracula as the antagonist of a film, right? Um, so <laughs> right. it's great. You also get a, a very rare occurrence. I think this is the first time I've seen it. A evil Ben Schwartz in it. Ben Schwartz is a, is a straight up bad guy. He's very funny, but he is an he is a straight up murderous bad guy in it. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because also part of it is Dracula basically assuming control of the mob. Mm. Going like, finally, my dark army. 
Because <laughs> uh, it is after all these years, he goes, it's it's here, man. It's time for world domination. All right? It's just, it's got to happen. Um, and so okay. okay, Dracula. It's very fun. And of course, yeah, everybody in the movie is like, Dracula? And then he bares his fangs and floats up in the air like, oh, no, he is Dracula. Um, <laughs> very funny. Very funny. Really good movie. Highly recommend. Uh, people are not going to it, which is a shame. Uh, I get it's very weird. It's one of it's those gonna movies. be one of those movies that explodes as a cult hit and like Absolutely. it's gonna get passed around in Blu-ray. I, I saw it in a theater with clearly like other horror nerds who were cackling throughout the whole movie. We were all loving it. So I feel yes, I do feel like it's a movie that when it finds its audience, people are just going to really love this movie. Um, but it is sort of an, another example of me, uh, as I see so many things where I just go like, maybe they should have just come out on Peacock. Some of these movies feel like that's kind of a niche thing. Maybe just go right to the people. You know, the streaming movies have the appeal of the people who are going to watch it are going to watch it. But you never know what's going to hit, right? And that's why they keep releasing films oh. like that in theaters is because you never know what's going to be the next everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I don't think the movie's like a bomb because I don't think it cost a ton either but mm. by studio standards. But it is sort of like it didn't quite set the world on fire um like they were hoping it would uh it's sure. also it's also i i i guess warn people extremely r rated it is an absolute gore fest there is at least one red band trailer out there that i think gives people a pretty good idea of exactly how much like cartoonish levels of blood yeah, it looks like evil dead 2 levels of just like yeah, gouts of blood shooting out of people it's it's absolutely in that vein people literally i mean there's a point when renfield tears a guy's arms off and beats him to death with his own severed arm <laughs> Because the whole I thing love shit like is, that. Is, no, that's it exactly. It is not. Uh, it is not uh, gore for horror's sake per se. It is definitely <laughs> over the top comic book levels of gore. Um, it's all. It's a very good time. Um, but I know some people are not as into that. So sure. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a blast. I absolutely loved it. I can't recommend Renfield enough. So, uh, so check that out. Um, definitely want it, to. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it'll be on streaming services soon i mean everything comes out my god i just watched scream six the other night too and that was just in theaters in fact i, mean, I think it still is in theaters quantumania is out in like two weeks or something yeah, out, it's yeah. gonna be on disney plus it's just quick because and, and i mean that is sort of the thing now right is uh you know the the theatrical window for movies is very short yeah I mean, as it kind of should be because it is kind of like you may, you got to make your money in like three weeks and then it's over, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so put it on streaming. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking to streaming things, let's talk about our our topics for this week. Our our our, our one our major our space daddies, our, our space, space daddies, John. daddies. As as we were saying before the show, this is our our space daddies. Yes. We we thought we would do this because actually they 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 pretty much had the exact same window of release here like they yeah uh, more episodes of Picard but they ended the same week we're talking about season uh, and and both season threes of uh, of of Star Trek Picard and the Mandalorian mm -hmm. uh, two the two big star franchises are you know the, the, it's interesting these kind of ran together and yes are both about space daddies uh bo both of which discovering what it means to be a father in the midst of adversity. Like there's a weird coterminous like plot happening in these 
two shows that I didn't realize, at least in the these third seasons of these shows. Um, I, before we get into these, I want to issue blanket spoiler warning for uh, season three of Star Trek Picard and season three of The Mandalorian. We're going to be spoiling the crap out of these shows because to talk about kind of the things we want to talk about today, I think we have to like really dig into the big yeah. major plot points there. Absolutely. And, uh, and we should say, uh, spoiler alert, to go watch them because we also very much recommend both of them. Yeah, no, I very much recommend season three of Star Trek Picard. I recommend the entirety of Star Trek Picard and all Star Trek movies with Picard in them. <laughs> I recommend most movies with Star Trek with uh, Picard in them. I will say, though, there are things I, I'm always I, one of the things I've been delighted by all of Picard is going like, yes, justice for Nemesis. Nemesis matters. <laughs> I have long been a huge nemesis defender, and I do not understand people's issues with it. Like the Star Trek fans, you go, "Oh, that's the worst of the whole bunch." You're like, "What are you talking about?" Nemesis. I feel like Nemesis is better than Insurrection. Mm -hmm. And I will even defend Insurrection, but I do think the criticism of Insurrection, basically being a two-hour episode of the show, is yeah. valid. I just sure. it's my favorite show of all time. So why would yeah. I be? But I but do like, think is of the next gen movie, I think Insurrection's probably the weakest. Yeah, what's well, the most inconsequential? It's sort of yeah. like, oh, okay, well, that was just sort of a routine Star Trek mission. It doesn't feel like, man, that was like all the other ones feel like movie stories. Right. Insurrection yeah. was like, oh, they went to a planet and there's trouble. Well, that's kind of what they did every week on the show. And I love seeing my friends. Mm hmm. Yeah, no. And, and that's always the thing with. Star Trek movies in general, I feel like, is their importance is based on, or how people treat them is usually based on how, like, consequential they feel to the okay. stories of those characters. Because you have, like, a Star Trek two, which feels like, oh, this is the culmination of a vendetta between two arch nemeses that ends in the death of Spock, and it's so important to the canon. Always amazing thing because as I love to point out to people, Khan was in one episode prior yeah, to that. Yeah, I know. But they do build them. That movie does feel like, my God, the arch nemesis, the ever going, ongoing battle between Kirk and Khan. You're like, they met once 20 years before that. But still, <laughs> right. it's great, though. That's the thing about it. But then you're talking about your Star Trek. I'm a Star Trek five defender, though, once again. Sure. It is inconsequential, per se, although it does introduce yes. Cyborg. Fine, yes, uh, but even talking about uh, Insurrection, and even Nemesis to an extent, like, Nemesis feels more important because it is playing in that, Nemesis feels like the template for this whole show, Picard, right? Because it feel it, it's dealing with the aftermath of a life lived devoted to Starfleet, and what it means to not have a legacy beyond that, and Picard I is so wrapped up in Picard's legacy that's what the show whole show is about, really. That's the thing about Nemesis, and I feel like the thing the thing that's always been disappointing about Nemesis, not as a movie itself, but its placement, was uh it was the like kind of finale to the next gen thing, but it was sort of in this like, well, this is either the end, or if it does make a bunch of money, then we'll go forward. So it yeah. sort of does this like stutter step of giving an ending to the Picard story. And I feel mm -hmm. like that was very much, uh, I highly recommend any interview with Terry Metalis, who was the showrunner of Star Trek Picard season three, mm -hmm. um, as, as him sort of going like, I kind of wanted to do the thing Nemes Nemesis promised to be that, that, they, that they just didn't, because like, Paramount was in this weird like, 
Yeah, we should. I mean, I remember, you remember the posters for Nemesis were like, a generation's final journey begins. Yeah. But even still, they're going like, well, maybe this is just step one of an ongoing final journey. Right. But and that's why my caveats about like the different seasons of Picard were there is after watching this season, it makes season two feel so much more inconsequential to me. And you can go back and listen to our review of season two. And I wasn't very hot on it at the time. Mm. And I've gotten less hot on it now post season three. Still strong disagree on that. The Q stuff is so important. The, the Q stuff is very, very strong, but like all of the Borg stuff is immediately undercut by this season. No, that's true. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, 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 and there's 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 timey wimey explanations. Once again, showrunner interviews get into about why the Borg are different here than they were in that. That doesn't undo one thing or the other thing. Um, it's all sure, but there. But if you're just watching this as a show, like me, I get to the end of season two, and suddenly uh, Allison Pill is the new Borg queen, and the Borg are kind of good guys now, and none of that is addressed in season three at all. Well, those are the, the Delta Quadrant Borg, which are different than what we see here are the remnants of the Borg that came to the Alpha Quadrant. But, the, the, you know, it's it's it, there, there is a distinct thing about each of the three seasons of Picard does have a different showrunner, which yeah. I think is 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 key there. Um, but uh, and season three definitely delivers on, I think, what people were hoping Picard was going to be the whole time. And I've yeah. seen people go like, why didn't they start here? And my argument is because they a, a different story was built. Like Picard, if you'd start here, it just would have been a different show. Picard right. does need to go through the first two seasons to be the Jean-Luc Picard we see here. It's not like, people talk about this season like it completely undoes, like seasons one and two have been wiped from canon, which is no, not. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. No, no, I'm not saying, because like the Borg stuff is a separate argument. But like, if you're just following the journey of Jean-Luc Picard, this yeah. is the third chapter of this section of the of his story. No, and the reason this season feels triumphant in it the way it does is because it is putting together the pieces of this guy who's trying to figure out what his legacy is to the galaxy, right? Like what I was saying. Yeah. And what his legacy is, is this family, this generation he has built that is so fundamental to Starfleet and the universe that Star Trek takes place in. Absolutely. I mean, this is th this season of Picard for me. And, and I, I every week I was texting friend of the show, Brendan Jones, about how much I was crying watching it because it really is such a testament, not only to the next generation, but to everything Star Trek is about. Like it is yeah. so at the core of, oh, this is what the whole franchise. This is what the themes of the franchise are um, now. On the opposite side of that coin today, we have season three of The Mandalorian, which I feel like is culpable of some of the same sins as, uh, not to get all cinema sinsy in here, but like season three of The Mandalorian is in this weird space where you have to have watched a different show for two episodes to yeah. even have any grasp on what's going on. And well, yes. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> shared, the very tight shared universe aspect of Star Wars these days that is trying, for sure, trying to ape Marvel, right? Yeah. Um, and as any shared universe thing, it's not doing it as well as Marvel. No. Well, look, when you have a show called The Book of Boba Fett and two episodes don't have the character of Boba Fett in them and are instead 
two episodes of a different show, uh, you have some issues that need to be worked. I out. stand by my book, uh, my book of Boba Fett review, which is everything in it is awesome. It doesn't necessarily cohere as a show. Now, every individual moment fucking rules, <laughs> but it is sort of a thing where you're like from week to week. Uh, I don't know how it holds. It barely holds the bet. I said what I said at the time, I think, is they should have just leaned into it being the book of Boba Fett and just literally stated these are all individual short stories that are yeah. in no way trying to come. Because when it kind of tried to come together at the end, you're like, I'm was this season about anything other than I don't know. rules other than we need to get to Boba Fett riding a rancor. That's all that this was leading and to. Once again, Awesome. Awesome stuff. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't, that's why I have such a, when people bash on Book of Boba Fett, I'm like, oh, I get the criticisms, but I love that ride, man. I enjoyed every moment of that thing. But it's this thing where the Mandalorian as a show is building the story of someone accepting a being a father, right? Like, I think that's the main arc of the Mandalorian, Din Djarin. Yeah. Almost more broadly than that, being like a human, being like a, an actual person with feelings, whether that be as a father or as a member of a society or choosing mm -hmm. friends, right? Because when we meet him, he's such a loner badass. And then not only does he get a child, but he gets, like I said, he gets a, a, a community, um, both from the Mandalorians, but also with stuff uh, like Grief Karga and, and the people of Navarro, right? right? And so you get all these things, and it's really about this guy finding his way back to humanity in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And season three is so interesting because it is presenting this synthesis of different ideas of what it means to be a Mandalorian or who even is the Mandalorian. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's Din Djarin. It's uh, our, our baby boy, Pedro Pascal, though. Interestingly, we'd never see his face this season. And they've given to uh, crediting the stunt actors more and more of late. I don't think he was on set hardly at all on this one. Uh, if that's at a, all. A whole other show. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, sure. the, once again, I don't, the, the vocal performance is great. And, you know, it's always been a mixture of people. It was never wholly him anyway. So no. the, the shared physical performance across the three to four people that play Mando on a regular basis is very consistent. But what I find interesting about it is between seasons two and three, we have this character who seems to be growing more and more comfortable with removing his helmet, becoming more and more person-like, as you say, and like breaking the the conduct of this really strict Orthodox society he was raised in. And while season three is about finding that synthesis between what sect of the Mandalorians he was raised in and what the Mandalorian as a culture as a whole is, and we get Mandalorians who remove their helmets all the time in the form of Bo-Katan and all of her uh, yeah. remnant night owls and whatnot. Right. But we never have Din Djarin, like, really bridging the gap. It's more Bo-Katan's job to do that, which I found well, interesting. That's, it is interesting. And I mean, I, I almost look at it as whether it's a necessity of production or not. I look at it the, the way, I mean, I'm presented with the information. So my read on it is he has come to accept he doesn't have to keep his helmet on, but that is part of his accepting of his, of his self, right? I am, mm -hmm. this is who I am. I don't, uh, it, it's a little bit like, I don't have to be this anymore. I choose to be this now. Right. No, and, and it is part of like accepting a piece of your cultural orthodoxy as no, I want to do this. Not that they're right. forcing me to do this. Because which, 
one of the things I loved about season three was the the unification of all Mandalorians, right? It is mm-hmm. sort of like what because you know what uh, where Din comes from is, or is it Jaren? What's his first name now? Because the the Grogu thing at the end threw me. Oh, when Grogu's name is now Din Grogu. I yeah. took it as a like Japanese naming convention because of like all- samurai it- stuff. But that's not always the case because Boba Fett and Jango Fett or isn't Kree's Bo-Katan's last name? I don't actually uh, know. Bo-Katan is from Clan Kree's. It gets weird when you start talking about like clan yeah. names versus personal I mean, names. Well, Kree's is the family name or the clan name. Yeah, exactly. So mm. it seems there seems to be inconsistency. And I guess that makes sense because there are these different fact sections of it. Uh, but anyway, so I'm going to keep calling him. I'm just going to call him Mando because that's what I call him. Um, uh, <laughs> All right, old man. Well, I'm a, I'm like uh, I'm yeah. Grief Karga and I are like Mando. Um, I love that Grief like rolls up on this camp full of Mandalorians and shouts Mando, expecting oh. one of them to turn. <laughs> yeah, well, only one of them do I call Mando. Um, and and just the gift that keeps on giving that is Carl Weathers. I love that man so much. Did he direct an episode this He did season? direct an episode. I think he directed the uh, the one where they chased down the dragon creature. Oh, nice. Fun. That was a I fun episode. That, I think I'm pretty sure that was the one he did. Um, he's great. I always love when he directs. Um, yeah, I think that was the one he did. Um, uh, this season has a lot of involvement from... Uh, 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 Rick Famuyiwa, uh, who's been on the show, but has now, uh, yes, he did direct that one, uh, uh, Chapter Twenty, The Foundling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, Rick Famuyiwa, who's been with the show from the start uh, as a director, but yeah, he directed that, some of these season one and season two episodes. Yeah, he definitely. Dir- I know the one for sure he directed in season one was the uh, the Prison Break one, which was mm. great on the mm-hmm. on the New Republic. You know. Um, uh, prison station or whatever uh, the episode called the prisoner, uh, yeah. but uh, these they don't these aren't burying the lead these titles. Um. <laughs> the only one that like was actively I'm not gonna say misleading, but was definitely like well there's got to be more to this right was this season had an episode called the spy and it's like okay yeah. there's that one character for the fir- in the first ten minutes of the show who is a spy but then that title made me start like trying to second guess myself I was like oh, are there other spies are, is there someone we can't yeah. trust among the Mandalorians I know right um uh so no he uh so he ended up uh he directed what well, he's directed six episodes in total uh he did chapters two and six in the first season chapter 15 in the second season, and then he directed three this season. But he's also been bumped up to executive producer and one of the writers this season as well. Mm-hmm. I an interview with him where he was talking about. So I definitely think there's there's been, and that makes sense in a world where I think Filoni in particular is less involved this season simply because he's really uh, launching Ahsoka. So I well, think he's really launching was- Ahsoka, and then there's all the news of him actually uh, directing the movie that is going to be the capstone. On yeah, whenever whenever we get to that, I don't know mm-hmm. when. I don't think there's there. There was some interview. There was some interview where like he was giving a rough estimate of just like eh, in five to six years somewhere in there. That sounds about right for Star Wars these days. Uh, th- you know what they need to add in five to six years, and then caveat of or ever for any Star Wars movie announced. <laughs> yes, <I'll>, like <laughs> with anything, I go, "Hey, man, that sounds cool. The Felony movie sounds cool. We'll see if that happens." Same thing with yeah. like J. 
James Mangold's doing a biblical epic about the Jedi. Awesome. We'll see if that ever happens. They're bringing Ray back. Maybe, you know, everything <laughs> we've seen so many, I can't with the movies. We've had too many announcements for me to just go until I'm literally buying tickets to something or at least see a trailer. Yeah, remember that Ryan Johnson trilogy we were supposed to get? Ryan Johnson trilogy, there was that huge promo with Patty Jenkins for the Rogue Squadron movie where mm. they're out on a on a tarmac and stuff like that, and you're going like, yeah. and then pff, that that's just gone. That's, uh, yeah, dust. Taika maybe is making a Star Wars movie. We're in, still talking about it. In among <laughs> 18 other things he's attached to, which I did see the trailer for his new movie, which I can't wait for, Next Goal Wins, which mm. is the 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 greatest losing streak in the history of the World Cup uh, for the, Ameri- <laughs> the American Samoan soccer team um, looked very. Nice. There, there. The whole thing is that they they just want to score one goal in a match. That's mm. their bit because they keep losing like thirty to nothing. Um, <laughs> looked very funny and very Taika And as the trailer proclaims, from the director who lost the Academy Award for Jojo Rabbit. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, um, but uh, yeah, so I think that, I think family, you, uh, I, my guess is he kind of picked up the, the, some of the slack of, of Filoni being not as involved, like in, in being Favreau's partner this season. Mm-hmm. Um, although he is also, he, he's directing at least one episode of Ahsoka. I mean, they've clearly built like a small family of producers and directors and writers between them and Bryce Dallas Howard. And like, there's a strong, like, core of people responsible for the Star Wars we're getting these days. Yeah. And specifically, Mandalorian seems to have, even within itself, whether it be Carl Weathers or Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, I don't think Taika did one this season, but, you know, they're sort of. He has to say yes and no. Well, he got yes, he did get, <laughs> and he got a little bit at the end. He got, he got a couple more lines. I do like Marshall, yeah. I, uh, IG Eleven, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I mean, they, there is sort of a stable of people that make this show. Um, that I don't think I don't know that they have like a formal writers' room because I think every every what, am I right in that every episode this season was at least co-written by John Favreau, if not wholly written by him. I think I saw yes. his name on every script. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and and that's that's great. There's no question. This is the Favreau show. Like every like he works on the other stuff, but this seems to be his main thing. In the way that it seems like Ahsoka is going to be Filoni's like main thing, and then they oh, kind of will dabble I mean, more. Ahsoka is his child. <laughs> sure, that's what I mean. Yeah, but I'm saying like it's sort of like and 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 I think Mando is that for Favreau, right? Like this is definitely the thing. And then Robert Rodriguez did the Book of Boba Fett stuff, although. You know, there's a lot of who knows about the rumblings of that show maybe getting. And that's the one where I kind of believe some of the rumblings, though, where it's like they were making one thing and then somebody goes, hey, you got to tie up these loose ends. It's like, OK, that's like Book of Boba Fett may have been compromised by brand integration stuff that was out yeah. of the people actually making it. Mm hmm. No, and like, look, we we've this isn't even the first time we've seen that in Star Wars, right? <laughs> no, it, it, it's a tricky thing, and I still I'm always amazed at the when we talk about the shared universe, and like I said with the MCU and stuff like that, just what are they doing better than other people? I don't know what it is. Uh, it is a little clumsy uh, everywhere else, and you kind of see the stitches much more than you do at Marvel. I'm not going to say you don't at Marvel, but they are way better at building that. And I don't... uh, What do you think that is? Do you think it... 
everybody always talks about the Feige of it, that nobody else has a Feige, and that, that may be a piece of it, but it's not like one man really is Marvel. No, because let's jump back to Picard for a second. You think about all the Star Trek that's being produced right now, and it is a shared universe. Like, it is. Talk what you will about timey-wimey bullshit that Star Trek gets up to in terms of, like, the Kelvin timeline and whatnot. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. All of the Star Trek shows being produced, whether it be Lower Decks or Strange New Worlds or Picard or Prodigy or whatever, Mm -hmm. it it is all taking place in the same universe. It's not as interconnected or it's not even trying to really be, which is part of its strength. That is part of its strength. And it it was never set out to be that. They made a show called Star Trek. Then they made some movies. Then they made Next Generation. They go, oh, well, that'll take place later. So that stuff is canon. They built a shared universe sort of naturally, and that's just continuing to this day. So Star Trek is sort of, at this point, it's in its DNA. It doesn't have to try to be a shared universe. And actually, I think it's key that when something like Discovery, which has never really, I mean, it has a fan base. I'm not going to say, while I may hate it. I know there are people, and I've wa- I watched three whole seasons of it. I'm a hardcore Trekkie, all right? I gave it as much of a shot as I could. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't like, Bleh. Um you, you know the Trek rule of give it three seasons before you write it off. <laughs> once I got into, like, season four, I'm going, I still don't like this, and I'm sorry. But the fact that they actually moved that so far into the future and it now has nothing to do with anything is still a testament to, okay, this is... Maybe not as popular with the broad fan base, but it still has a fan base. So we'll just put it over here, but not break our own continuity. They're that committed mm-hmm. to the shared universe of Trek stuff that, right. that even still, and same thing, even even the Kelvin timelines, for example, that where it's like, well, we don't want to undo anything, so we'll just we'll just put this over here. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they've always been good at that, but like I said, it's sort of built naturally. It wasn't, you know, this was in the '80s. They weren't thinking brand integration and stuff like that they just go we want another star trek thing and the writer it connects my point though is that today yes they are thinking about that sort of thing so everyone who's producing the shows that we're getting now on paramount plus picard included are thinking about like how this fits into the grander scheme of things but it's less about trying to tell some kind of complex web of narrative and more about looking at the toys in your toy box and wondering how to tell a good story with those. And I think that's what Marvel excels at, that these other ones are less good about doing. And Star Wars in particular, what they're attempting to do is create a new toy box out of toys that have always been there in terms of like Ahsoka and Thrawn and like all the Clone Wars stuff that Filoni has set up and all the Rebels stuff and like... But it's always been, like, a little bit considered second tier, I guess, because it's from an animated show. There's always this, like, and I I really struggle with that concept that, like, just because it's an animated series, it needs to be considered a lesser thing. That always rubs me the wrong way. But it is, it seems to be a general consensus, which I, I dislike. just won't watch a cartoon, you know what I mean? Like, right, that's the exactly. thing, right? There are some people like that. And I do think there is... And Star Wars is sort of one of the first things that's doing this. Like, there is something interesting, um, not that it's considered, but it's it's definitely considered different. It feels like it's a different medium when it's an animated thing. So to jump back, characters jump back and forth is, is, that's kind of a new thing. Uh, The idea of of a solely animated character becoming a live action character. But then the other thing you do, because those shows, I think, get 
less viewers than something like The Mandalorian. When you bring Ahsoka in, you need to be able to tell. And I think they've actually done a, a pretty good job of this for the most part, is bringing mm -hmm. those characters in naturally. And I, my barometer is always my father, who loves Star Wars, but only loves the movies and now watches the shows, but has never paid attention to anything happening in anime. Literally the other day he goes, do you think I should watch The Clone Wars? So yeah. here's, I know you never will, but you should. Great example of this is Bo-Katan, right? Because yeah. of in terms of like Filoni's like uh, children with, that he's created yeah. over the years, there's yeah. Ahsoka is definitely like the cherubic perfect angel child that sure. he is woven through all of Star Wars canon somehow. Yeah. Uh, but Bo-Katan is like a close second, honestly, because you start with her in, uh, I think it's season three of Clone Wars when yeah, they introduced right. her. Um yeah. When they introduced all the Death Watch stuff, obviously uh, her sister got introduced earlier than that with the whole Obi-Wan, Duchess Satine thing. Um, mm -hmm. But the fact that we've seen this character evolve over the course of three different TV shows and eventually emerge into live action and it all be played by the same person is unheard of. It's insane. Yeah, that doesn't happen. I mean, and they, the 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 jumping, uh, and I was listening to Katie Sackhoff on a podcast somewhat recently where she was talking about, she goes, I never, you know, I would always, she said I was kind of joke, you know, if you ever put Bo-Katan in live action, then you should cast me. And she goes, that doesn't happen. You know, you don't cast no. a voice actor. No, the fact, I mean, in some ways she's got a leg up on, she's actually mostly a very successful live action actor. So it's not that sure. wild. The Ashley Eckstein would have been much wilder had they cast her as Ahsoka, I feel like. That would have been... And I know there were a lot of fans really pushing for it, but it certainly would have been more unprecedented than, uh, once again, somebody who was already pretty famous for being in live-action stuff. Right. No, and so when you have the the toy box that Filoni made, and mm -hmm. that is what Star Wars is attempting to play in now... As a po but the problem is that toy box is not stuff people are familiar with, so it might as well be brand new. So they're right. trying to put together something of uh, this whole new universe in front of people's eyes, and then saying it's all connected, as opposed to building a thing like Star Trek has, which is like generations of people, pardon the pun, yeah. consuming this universe and becoming. Uh, complicit in its continuation so that when you get to a point with Picard season three, when you have Tuvok showing up and like giving condolences to seven of nine on a show that is ostensibly a continuation of next generation. But at the same time, you're like, Oh, of course Tuvok would be here and be consulted because he's the security guy. And like, why wouldn't he be uh, consulted about the infiltration of Starfleet? When I do love even things like I, I love when uh, when they're talking about the changelings that are so at the core of this season of Picard, and Seven of Nine goes, "Oh, I've never actually dealt with them." I'm like, "Right." She's basically going, "I, I wasn't on that show." Yeah, but I she wasn't on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> wasn't on Deep Space Nine. They were a Deep Space Nine villain. Uh, you know, and, well, and that's and, why like not having any Deep Space Nine characters in this show was so weird to me when the changelings came up. I was just like, "Oh, we're dealing with the changelings. That is a pretty fucked up thing that the uh, that Starfleet did. That makes for some cool repercussions." But there are no like, where's Cisco? What's going on here? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, listening to uh, certainly once again, I, I don't. Well, I I both do and do not envy the role Terry Metalis had to continue the story because I've seen a lot of interviews with him. What about this person? About this? He goes, dude, we would have loved to get every single character, but a lot of sure. it is time, yeah. money, schedules. Because there's things like, why isn't Guinan in the last episode? It's like, well, because Whoopi Goldberg couldn't make it, and why wasn't Wesley Crusher in a thing? It's like we couldn't work out a thing with Will Wheaton and. You know, there's just some stuff that gets compromised because there are people and moving parts. I would respect that for the most part. Mm-hmm. And like the Will Wheaton stuff, I'm not super upset about because he's off being the traveler or whatever. Well, and we, and we, and we got enough of a, we got a, a fun little comeback of him in season two of Picard that explains, you know. The fact that in the last episode of season three, they say, oh, Guinan's given us the side eye and we never actually see Guinan. Yeah. Weirded me out. <laughs> I mean, I think that was definitely like, we want to keep her, it would make sense for her to be here, but she's not here. Uh, what You know, uh, but there was a lot of stuff like that. Or, you know, I mean, and look, Paramount was already upset about apparently how much they spent to rebuild the Next Generation bridge, so. Oh, but it looks so good! It did. But apparently, <laughs> that was Mattel said he really had to fight for that, because they're like, it's going to cost how much for the last two episodes? I, I loved know. the crack about the carpet, too. It was yeah. so funny. The thing I've missed most of all, this carpet. <laughs> I love being back with all of you, but I have to say I miss the carpet most of all. <laughs> no, oh, there was like, a- it, that whole sequence was obviously, I was just in tears going, childhood! That's the thing. And the huge difference between Mandalorian season three and Picard season three is like Mandalorian season three is the culmination of this story that we've been telling over the course of three seasons. But Picard season three is the culmination of a story we've been telling for the last 40 years. And it's the thing. That's the thing about it's the thing you can't fake. Right. When you do these things, you can't fake that. These are these actors have been playing these characters and working together. And that. Uh, chemistry is just there. It's baked in. It's almost not that, I mean, the writing is still amazing, but it's almost like they'll get it there even if the writing isn't because that's Jonathan Frakes playing Riker. And when he's in a scene with Troy, I've seen all of that relationship across decades. When Picard and Jordy confront each other and they're not sure if each other are changelings and yeah. Jordy is like, what did you give me as my, uh, like, uh, wedding present. It's like, yeah. well, I gave you this bread bottle of wine. It's like, you said it was too tart because your taste in wine is pedestrian at best. <laughs> yeah, and Jordy's just like, that's him. It's him. That's him. <laughs> so you're, good. That stuff where every moment in it, you're like, oh, I know these people. To my, I mean, the, the, there might not be an ensemble of characters I'm more attached to than that crew. I've been watching them almost my whole life. Like I was. As a, I, you know, I go back to being a little kid. I remember watching yeah. the finale of Next Generation when it aired when I was five. Like, you know, it's it's been my greatest love in pop culture my whole life, basically. I can't necessarily claim the same, like, deep attachment to sure. it. But at the very least, like, it was a mainstay through my youth. And it was my Star Trek, right, from the that get-go. Is, yes. Next generation. We are we are kids of the next generation, right? Like yeah, that, 100%. That was our thing. And I love, I love, love, love the original series, of course. But the original series was always, oh, it was always, it just existed, right? Mm-hmm. I was talking about my main Star Trek fandom is Next Generation. And then the movies with the original series people more so than 
than actually the original series. I, I, I grew up just obsessively watching those movies. And I came to all of yeah. that stuff way, way later because I was off doing Star Wars stuff. Well, that, and that's it. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, obviously, like, it was just my dad was a Star Trek and Star Wars guy. So we had those tapes. So they were equal, you know, on the shelf. Star Trek was next to Star Wars. So it was all, you know, I would watch Rathacon and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and that's also been uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is as somebody who's constantly, I hate the fucking, I mean, it's, it's fun, but like, if you're really serious about the Trek versus Wars thing, it's the same thing with the DC and Marvel thing. I'm like, you're just missing out on good stories. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you're like, no, no, I only do Star Wars. I'm like, well, that's too bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, or same I'm- thing with Star Trek, you know, like I engage with them differently. I definitely have a more. And and also, I mean, there's a big difference between up until recently, a handful of movies and hours upon hours of television. I think I probably have more emotionally invested in Star Trek, but that's just because I've that that world seeped into my bones more. There's uh, more of it. Absolutely, just, there is. That's the thing. It's just, and it's interesting to see Star Wars kind of become Star Trek in a weird way now, where everybody's starting to go does this work better as a show? Like I hear so many people just going like, yeah, we don't need star Wars movies. This should be a show. I'm like, dude, I've been hearing that for about star Trek for, you know, three decades. People always <laughs> going like, do they even need to make movies? And actually I do think in today's world, uh, particularly like one of the big things that, that works about season three of Picard versus the movies is it's 10 hours long. Yeah. No, and, and I could have, see all of this jammed into a two and a half hour movie, but it would be less affecting, right? Well, you wouldn't, what you wouldn't get is, and this was the problem always with the with any of the Star Trek movies, is a movie has to be about someone or a couple yeah. characters, and you have seven main characters. But the movies, if you watch the next gen movies, they basically default to being Picard and Data stories. And Pretty the same much, thing with yeah. the original series movies, they basically default to being Kirk and Spock stories because. That's kind of how movies have to work. Mm-hmm. It's it's no, you know, I know people bitch about it, and George Takei was always upset. Why doesn't Sulu do more? And you're like, because he kind of can't. Like, I mean, he unless it became a Sulu movie, and that's that would have been cool, but it I just probably wasn't going to happen at the time. No, no, well, because they weren't they weren't thinking like that. Now I'm surprised there isn't. I mean, actually, one of my big things, if they want to continue the Kelvin timeline, is uh, I think a Sulu show where he's the captain of the Excelsior would be an awesome show. Uh, I would get John love. Cho in there. Yeah. John Cho. John Cho captaining a star. John Cho needs a show. All right. John Cho has tried so many attempts to be like a leading man, and he is always great, even if the shows let him down. He, he is was awesome. not the problem with Cowboy Bebop. Far, far. <laughs> He's great in it, actually. Yeah. And and the one thing I came out of that show for sure saying is I want to see John Cho leading like a sci-fi or action series. He's mm-hmm. he's one of those guys in Hollywood that it come around every once in a while. I'm going like I'm sorry, do we not see this is a major leading man? Like, I, what, what are you guys doing? I don't know if you watched that show with him and Karen Gillan a few years ago on ABC that was a rom-com with them. It was a delight. It was super charming, and oh. I, I don't know why it failed. Yeah, it was just uh, network TV and that audience and some combination of things. It's so weird. It's a show that really probably should have been like a Netflix show and probably would have mm. been because two of the most charming people ever on screen and they were it was just a show about them being delightful uh, yeah. so I yeah but that's the kind of thing where I, I I'm fascinated by that but the thing about having the 10 hours is everybody to varying degrees I know certainly when the first probably six episodes were airing people are going like there is no Troy in this show 
Yeah. And you go, well, yeah, but then when Troy comes in, they use Troy better than almost any episode of Next Generation does. Well, the fact that we get, like, a full-on, like, psychic mind meld and, like... They deliver. The elephant elephant in the room in season three of Picard is the Borg reveal, right? Because for the most part through season three, you think the changelings are the big bad. And, like, I love the way they communicate with the Borg, like, slicing off a piece of yourself so that it, like, morphs into the head of the person you're talking to. Um, I also... Dude, Amanda Plummer as oh she killed is uh, as as once again because uh, I was frequently just texting back and forth week to week with with Brendan about uh, about the show as we were watching it and he I think nailed it perfectly he goes he goes she is having an, an illegal amount of fun this is <laughs> criminal territory how much fun she is having as this character every time she said Picard like really putting the French accent on her yeah. She's and that was I the Metallus said I wrote that for her, her alone. I was willing to move heaven and earth to get her to play this part. And of course, being the 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 Trek nerd I am, the fact that her father was Christopher Plummer, who played General Chang in Star Trek Six. I love the lineage of Star Trek villains, uh the the that that is. But mm-hmm. oh, she's she's spinning in the captain's chair like a little kid and cackling. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, this is so good. But the thing about the Borg reveal that I was going to bring up, I love the Changeling stuff. But it, as you bring up, Picard isn't part of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So at the end of the story, it had to come back to something that mattered to him, right? It had to be. Right. And that was uh, from day one, what Metallus said, his pitch to Patrick Stewart. He goes, what's season three going to be? And Metallus, is, he said, uh, Jean-Luc has a son. But he finds out that it's Lacutus' son. Yeah. And I, I understand that pitch, and it's a it's a very powerful pitch. But I, I can't in isolation, I really love this season. I think it I think it is majorly undercut by seasons two's Borg stuff, just for me personally. Okay. Because like if they if the Borg weren't in season two and suddenly this reveal happens, mm-hmm. I would have been losing my absolute shit. But we spent half of last season because it was really was the duality in the last season of we're dealing with Q stuff and we're dealing with Borg stuff and they're bouncing yeah. back and forth. But season one had a lot of Borg stuff too, because you had the whole sure. reclamation of the Borg stuff, which was very cool, the idea of mass uh uh unassimilating yeah no and i i loved all that stuff um mm-hmm. and then if i rewatch this show in the future i'm probably gonna skip season two because i feel like it, it it really does undercut it for me i don't know what it is but it's just like this feels so much more like impactful in isolation to me mm. i mean the big thing you know uh, with the the Borg is always the 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 great tear in the heart of Jean Luc Picard, right? So it all roads mm-hmm. kind of have to always lead back to them, and leading back to specifically Alice Krieg's Borg Queen, um, which I was so happy they were they actually yes. got her back. Um, and oh my god, how disturbing is the fucked up Borg Queen that's like only partially there, but kind of part of the ship? Oh, They're such- zombie Borg. I loved it. Such a cool, creepy design. I love when they, when they, when uh, Riker and Worf are walking. By the way, uh, can I just get the buddy show that is Riker and Worf? Because all of their scenes are the best ever. Do you even hear yourself? Yeah. When they're going, when they're going to go on the board ship, because I shall make it a threesome. God, do you hear yourself? 
<laughs> I am practicing what is called self-care. Yeah, I, uh, the whole thing about like, yeah, I I now commit myself to pacifism. Oh God, we're all gonna die. Like, just um, I, I gotta think. Of the, I mean, everybody's great, but Frakes really impressed me the most simply because he doesn't really act anymore. Um, mm. And I actually talked about when he came back for the first season of Picard, he hadn't acted in something like more than 10 years. And he goes, I was really scared. I didn't know how to do it anymore. Like, mm. I didn't, I don't know how to act anymore. And I thought, this is the best Riker's. I mean, because Riker is in the most of it of any of the next gen crew, right? Riker yeah. and Culture, probably. Um, but yeah. particularly Riker, it really is a lot of the season is a Picard Riker story. And Which is absolutely what I wanted. And so when they first are cracking open that bottle of whiskey at the beginning of the season, yeah. I was just like, yes, here we go. Because, I mean, because they're bros, right? They have a different, and I, I mean, dude, I'm, of course, I'm rolling tears at the end of the, the, the season when they can beam Riker and Worf out, but they can't get Picard. And Riker's like, no. I can't leave him behind. And I'm just going, oh, my God. And, of course, I'm also going, just like Picard couldn't leave Data behind at the end of First Contact. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so all that stuff. I mean, and that's obviously the big appeal here is, uh, right, and that was how it was sold, is, like, all your friends are back together. Everybody yeah. is here. And that chemistry, because, <laughs> because unlike the original series, these people do love each other in real life. Uh, they are best friends. It's it's not the the incredibly bitter. Um, every time they made a movie with the original series, there was like a is Doohan gonna not come back because he's still pissed because Shatner said something in 1968. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I'll so never like the, when we were shooting Spectre of the Gun, that Bill said this to me. You know, <laughs> that is why the end of this season where they're all around the poker table is so affecting. Right. It's because you have so many years of them either being on the show together or just like being lined up together at cons or doing interviews together at different like documentaries and whatnot over the years. That's you know that these people are the people at this poker table and not just the crew of the Enterprise. And none of that was written. And Metallus said he rolled the camera for 45 minutes and just let them play poker. That's so cool. I'm going to cry just thinking about that. I know. That. He just, he just let them go. For 45 minutes, he just was like, keep it on them. And <laughs> play poker. Because, yeah, that is... The, I mean, anytime you see it, somebody, it's Patrick Stewart's birthday, there's a photo where they're all at his house having dinner. You know, they, uh, Will Wheaton, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Michael Rosenbaum's podcast, Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. I highly mm. recommend any of the episodes, but particularly the Will Wheaton episode, where he talks about having, you know, a pretty abusive childhood. His parents were pretty terrible to him. And so he literally talked about it. He goes, that's, that's my family. That's mm -hmm. my real family. The people who really did care for me are the next gen cast. And yeah. anytime, like, Frakes was on that show later, and he said that, he just goes, I'm just so proud of that guy. I just love that guy so much. Like, it, <laughs> it's, 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 he goes, I can't believe the man he's become. And you're just going, like, it's so genuine in a way, once again, where, and I think the other casts ebb and flow, but the next gen cast is very special in, yeah. in, in, in their place, in the continuity, in their relationship and reality. I mean, I, I've been to conventions where huge, I have a photo with a bunch of the cast because they were all at a convention together. They love that. And so this was not a thing. I don't think there was any debate. It wasn't like, Oh, am I going to come back? It's like, everybody was like, if Patrick's doing it, we're all in. Yeah. No. Including, and that's why I, I, mean, I want to get to one of the other big things in it. 
Um, and we'll get back to Mandalorian, I promise, folks. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, the Return of Data is, I cer certainly think, one of the big... The thing that uh, probably, actually, more than the Borg, really made my jaw drop. Because yeah, and I, I died twice. Yeah, and that's if if handled less well, mm -hmm. I feel like it could have very easily felt cheap to just be like, and somehow data returned. Well, <laughs> exactly. I feel like if somebody had just told me that, like if that had been spoiled for me, I would be like, oh no, don't, because they. The, I thought I, I I think his sacrifice in Nemesis is great, uh, and mm -hmm. I I thought what a great culmination of this character who wants to become human that he sacrifices himself for his family basically what the ultimate human gesture and then the first season of picard i, I mean i thought geez i was crying like a baby when picard is letting him go and data's dying with dignity basically right like and i'm like right, man yeah. what another perfect ending so if somebody had told me that they were bringing data back it would have been like oh they've already given him two incredible caps to his arc um only to, and then of course they kind of faked us out a little bit, right? Because they did go, oh, Brent Spiner's in it, but he's playing Lore, and I went, cool. Lore is a great, you know, unfinished. There's several things in this season of Picard that are like, oh, these are aside from like the larger stuff where I'm going, oh, these are unfinished, untied up threads from Next Generation. The other one is Ensign Rowe. I was uh, going to say, when Roe Lauren showed back up, I was like, holy shit, we're really going this deep. Okay. <laughs> that character never got the culmination that we had here, which is that conversation with Picard, which is just, once again, a sign of what I love about Star Trek. And I think more so than Star Wars, not that Star Wars doesn't have these moments, but Star Trek is so much about humanity that, and this show really gets that. I feel like some people, it's one of my problems with Discovery, they really want to pump up the intensity and action of Star Trek, but it's like mm -hmm. that scene is one of the best scenes in the show. And it is just Patrick Stewart, and Michelle Forbes talking to each other. Yeah. Like it, and it is, it is so tense and you're so invested in it. Uh, but Terry Metalis and the writers of this show figured out a way to bring data back that didn't feel cheap and is yet a third great cap to now he has found his humanity and he is, he, 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 they gave Data, we've already had Data die twice, and now Data gets kind of a happy ending of finally achieving what he sought his whole life. Because all it took was the fusion of everything, right? And that's, the synthesis is what brings the catharsis to that, of like, okay, the end of lore story is accepting the Data pieces of him that made him so angry. And the, the like, that the end of the B4 story and the end of the Alton Soon story is just them becoming a singular entity that had become this disparate entity over the course of a tangle of continuity over years. It's absolutely incredible, and always, I've always just been, aside from just as Data, I think Brent Spiner is an amazing actor, and mm -hmm. what he pulls off this season, that scene when he's literally just jumping between the personalities all at once, I'm going, that's a master class. That he's yeah, just, that was very good. I'm just, yeah. And then that, that scene, the confrontation between Data and Lore, when Lore thinks he's overpowered Data, but actually the humanity of Data comes through and and is the you know the dominant personality and and we've and we've seen stuff like that in sci-fi and fantasy before of just like oh you want my personality take all my personality but it was handled with such charm and care and it comes back season. to the core of star trek which is always the the gene roddenberry thing about the human adventure begins right which is sort of like yeah. 
It is about the humanity, which brings us back to the Mandalorian thing as well, which is this story of, as we talked about, both of these are kind of stories of family and about what it means to be human. And, you know, in a non-schmaltzy way, I mean, somewhat schmaltzy, but like the power of love and stuff like that, right? The sort of, you know, the, the love versus hate versus anger. Well, it is in a show that doesn't address the Force all that much. It no. is about the light side and dark side of all these different emotions because there is a dark side to family and that is becoming insular and xenophobic and not accepting people for the differences that they have between you and quote-unquote your people and trying to find some way of just like data and lore synthesizing those traits that you might see as opposite but are actually like part of a greater alloy a beskar alloy if you will um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I've seen, I've seen some people, and they're shitty people, no surprise here, being like, man, this show is more about Bo-Katan now. And I'm like, well, because she is that synthesis, as you're talking about, that's yeah. what it ends up being. And I look at Mando, the character of Din Djarin, as almost like Mad Max or like a classic Western here where his story is to sort of prop up other people's stories in a lot of ways, right? He is our character who funnels us into these stories, whether that be the story of Grogu, whether the, and, and he's affected by them and has his own arcs within them. But it is about, through him, we get all these pieces of stories. It's the classic Ronin, right? It's right. the it's the it's the wanderer. It's the man with no name. There's a thousand different versions of this story of Mad Max. Ranger, yeah, great example. Jack the character Reacher. who yeah. Jack Reacher, great example. Character mm-hmm. who wanders into town is finds themselves in the middle of somebody else's story and is able to propel that person into what their like ultimate destiny is because they're able to support that person for their own reasons. And, and then in Jaren's case, it's because he is coming to grips with the fact that he is the father of Grogu. He is the father of Grogu. Yes. That that's, that's his big emotional arc in it. Right. Uh, yeah. And, but, but I love the ending. It's very, it's, I mean, this, this is the most Western-y moment maybe ever in Star Wars. Or when he's sitting on his porch. When he's sitting <laughs> on his porch and he's literally, I'm going like, oh my God, he's, he's Paladin from Have Gun Will Travel now. He is yeah. the Western hero. But it's the idea of, I have restored Mandalore. All is at peace. I can't live here. Yeah. I'm not that I will guy. now retreat. Yeah. I'm John Wayne at the end of The Searchers. One of my favorite endings in movie history when he reunites his uh, his niece with her family but he's outside that john ford shot of them hugging and then mm. him outside the frame of the door because that's not a guy who belongs in a society like that's not he's not built for that well got and there is catching bad guys there's a piece of that with Din Djarin, for sure. He's Obviously, not, he's not quite the uh, the dark figure that ethan edwards is in search yeah, with yeah. like i've done monstrous things right no cuz all mandalorians are monsters of one stripe or another in terms of they dedicate their lives to a society of violence and it's a violence that we appreciate and approve of most of the time yeah. but they they do have some of that spartan mentality of like oh yeah and we will throw our children to the wolves to hope the children beat the wolves <laughs> right right you know they're, they're definitely a, a, a warriors i mean back to star trek they're they're klingon-esque right in that way where yeah. it's sort of like like a, a a strength and battle perseverance above all sure and the idea that this show is more of a Bo-Katan show, I think in season three specifically, is ignoring the idea that 
Mandalore, that Din Djarin is devoting himself to an ideal. That ideal is the restoration of Mandalore. And he's not going to be the guy to do it because he can't, he can't lift the dark saber. He never removes his helmet. He would never have the respect of the, the people who do that sort of thing. Uh, he, he is like man with us, very simple set of skills yeah. and he can use those skills to support any number of people. Even if it's Jack black and Lizzo on that weird rich priest people. By the way, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Did you like that episode? A lot of people bitched about that episode, like nobody's business. And I thought that episode was totally fun. I really liked it because Christopher Lloyd as like a weird bad oh, guy janitor was so funny to me. Doc Brown being in it, obviously. Um, <laughs> I thought it was totally fun. I love the weird, I love the little Blade Runner section of it where they chase the guy into like the downtown. That was yeah. I, mean, I love anytime a character says Count Dooku was right. I was like, well, I mean, look, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> Dooku made some valid points, man. <laughs> I do love Count Dooku. And I, uh, I, I, I want to shout out another Star Wars podcast that I've gotten into recently. Have you listened to A More Civilized Age? Uh, it's a it's a Clone Wars rewatch. Show. Well, they're doing actually it's not oh, just Clone Wars rewatch. They're starting from Episode One, but going through all of Star Wars. You know, they started Episode One, Two. Then the Clone Wars, then they'll go to three, then Rebel, you know, so they're going through all the Star Wars. But they did talk about, hey man, Dooku rules because even though George Lucas is a bad writer, anytime, or like a weak character writer at the very least, uh, mm -hmm. Christopher Lee can show up in any movie and be cool as shit. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, he can say anything and be the baddest motherfucker in the room. Now, here, here is what may or may not determine if I uh, take your podcast recommendations, John. Yeah. In what order are they watching Clone Wars? Ah, yes. Uh, you might like this. They are watching. They are watching everything in release order. So they are watching. So that that means they're doing Rebels and then season seven of Clone Wars. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because they are following release order specifically. Their their argument is they are following along with the shows as it's made. So the idea of hmm. Rebels is written without specifically the knowledge of season seven of Clone Wars. So they want to follow this is true. it. As the writers wrote it, basically. It's mm. really good, though. They're very funny, and I think they have the right attitude of this is what works, this is what doesn't work about the prequels. They're not shitting on them, but they're also not, like, you know, massively in love with them. They, it's a four-person show, and it's a whole spectrum of the guy. And one of the guys on there literally writes for Star Wars. Like, he's done some of the stuff for the certain point-of-view books and stuff like that. Oh, cool. cool. Uh, and then you have somebody who's literally only seen the sequel movies as they came out in theater so oh boy yeah, wow right that's yeah. a perspective so yeah so you and then in between the other two people are are sort of more medium star wars fans um and so it's really interesting it's a really interesting show only seen the sequels yeah just because they were new movies that came out it's like i went to all of them when they came out in theaters yeah no i just i <laughs> i understand that that could happen i just yeah. can't I'm so removed from that perspective, it's hard for me to grasp it. He's actually the most interesting person on the show, in my opinion, because like the 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 hardcore Star Wars nerds are like, well, yeah, dude, I I know that. Too. You know, it's like the, yeah, the sure. have Wikipedia open on the show and stuff like that, going like, well, you have to consult about this and and why this <laughs> and yeah, um, uh, so I, like the the long conversation they have about uh, Sifo Diaz and who is that mm -hmm. is and the answer even from the star wars guy is like oh boy it's complicated 
It's complicated, and the end of the day, the answer is, uh, some yeah, guy. It's, it's, it's <laughs> one of the weird things where I would love to ask George Lucas, what were you trying to go for? Because that movie and then the subsequent stuff, it just keeps getting more complicated. It's not? What he was going for was a neo-noir in which there were certain clues that were never going to amount to anything a la Maltese Falcon, right? Which I, which I love in Maltese Falcon, but in Star but. Wars, that is rough. <laughs> That is yeah. something that is inherently built around mythology. In one movie where it's a mystery that wants to leave things vague, great. In a uh -huh. long-running thing that's all about its continuity, no. that's tough. <laughs> Obi-Wan is in a different movie in Attack of the Clones. And, and it's, it's a movie I want to see, but it's a movie movies. that is not supported by the rest of the film. That was actually their opinion on that. They go, any scene that doesn't have Obi-Wan in it is garbage in this movie. <laughs> And I'm like, I can't disagree. The Obi-Wan stuff rules. Obi-Wan as noir detective is great. Anakin and oh. Pat made love stories. I think it was a mistake for them to cut out the scene in which Anakin meets Padme's parents. That they awkward really... <laughs> they talk about that and they all went, that sounds like a cool scene. It's not. I'm joking. <laughs> oh, wow. They like the idea on paper that she had like normal parents. Though that scene exists, you can watch it. It's awkward because Hayden Christensen is an awkward dude. Just yeah, that guy. I'm sorry. I don't think he's terrible, but I think he's limited. That's yeah. what I'll leave it at. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, Mandalorian. Yeah, basically, what I was getting at with season three is like it feels like it is clearing the table for stuff that is coming a la, oh, I don't know, a little guy named Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, Thrawn is particularly interesting when you talk about this because there's two separate layers of continuity to him. Yeah. He, yeah. Is, he is a character who existed in one continuity that got erased and then got pulled into a new continuity where he is the same character, but it's also a different version of that character. I would say the newer version of Thrawn, if you take everything like from the novels that have yeah. been written post Disney acquisition. I've only read is, the comic of him, but that's... which are adaptations of the novels. Yeah. Um, which is good, which is good, but he's more of an anti-hero leaning villain who has some good points as opposed to the original legends Thrawn, which I feel was more of an out and out bad guy. It's, it's interesting. Cause I do feel, I was talking to uh, uh, another friend of mine who's a big star Wars fan. And he was talking about, he goes, Man, are people getting, you know, is this turning people off when they keep talking about this Thrawn character they don't, that people don't know? And I said, no, because I think the show is doing a good job of just going, dude, this guy is hardcore. Like, even yeah, if you know he is, the fact they keep talking about him, you're like, oh, shit, if that guy comes around. He he's might only been mentioned twice. Yeah. In the Ahsoka episode, and then in that one episode where we see the Shadow Council, which I love that we got Admiral Paleon showing up in that. That That's a character from the books who's just like, Paleon, what are you doing here? I love that stuff because I'm like, oh boy, you know what? Is our Favre and Filoni going to try to do for the sequels what Clone Wars and Rebels did for the prequels? Because that, I'm going like, dude, you're making me buy into the First Order more than I ever did in those movies. The moment they had Domhnall Gleeson's brother show up playing yep. Hux's father, yep. mentioning Project Necromancer, I'm like, God damn it, Filoni, you're going to scaffold into making the sequels make sense and be decent the same way you did with Clone Wars, aren't I you? I don't know if you can ever make them decent, but he can make them make more sense. Uh, or at yeah. least that third one. That third one is um, one of the worst movies I've seen. I'm not going to um, relitigate Rise of Skywalker. I'm not going to relitigate. We're not going to relitigate, but it is the worst Star Wars movie. Um, yes, 100%. I'll take any of the prequels and come at me. <laughs> um, 
And you just said half of Attack of the Clones is garbage. Yeah, it is. Legitimately. But all of Rise of Skywalker is garbage. So um, uh, that's not true. I like light speed skipping. But that's about it. Um, I like weird slug guy who shows up for half a second. Yeah, and I like... You know what I like? I like Babu Frick. And I like that Babu Frick got uh, uh, rolled into this. That alien race. Bad baby. No squeezy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good stuff, man. And the Grogu stuff worked here. I do my my only issue with Grogu is his utter dominance in the merchandising of Star Wars. Mm. That's it. I think I think he's always well used in the show. I think they never they I never roll my eyes, which is always the thing when you have like a cute character. They never take him far enough for me to go like, oh god, okay, all right. Um, you know, I thought everything with him was great. I love that he's Still a baby, but like starting to have more personality in the show. I read some people rolling their eyes at the uh, IG-11 mech suit. What did you think of that? Well, see, I really like that. I thought it was yeah. the design. I immediately am like, I got to get a figure of this. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was really fun. I thought it was funny. I don't know. I like mm-hmm. it. And I, yeah. the other thing I liked is that it got destroyed. That that won't be yeah. the, the, you know, the status quo for Grogu. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, good, good. I don't want the whole, I don't want seasons and seasons of yes, no, yes, no, you know, mm-hmm. but no, that was, that was a toddler with a new toy and it was, he was using it. And, and it's great when, you know, he saves, uh, Mando there and it's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very cool. Cool action sequence. Um, and uh, on the same note of, uh, Amanda Plummer and Picard, uh, I think uh, uh, Giancarlo Esposito might have some charges against him for having criminal amounts of fun, too, because, oh, my God, when he shows back up, there's no way he's dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, do, you don't you don't introduce a room full of clones of the main bad guy and expect me to believe he dies, even if I see him incinerated on screen. But isn't that kind of what Moff Gideon has become? He's like this cockroach. You, They always think they've defeated him. Yeah, I know. Just and coming back. Part of me loves that because of how inconsistent the villains have been in Star Wars over the last, yeah. like, 20 years. Not having, like, a consistent bad guy movie to movie. Having Moff Gideon always come back has felt kind of comforting. But Absolutely. at the same time, there is the diminishing return of just like, well, but they always beat him. <laughs> but this idea, I mean, he's almost like the Kang. People talk about, man, how is Kang going to be cool if he got beat in Quantumania? It's like, well, because it's another Kang and it's a new thing and it's always, that's kind Probably of- a new actor. <laughs> Well, it will definitely be an actor. Um, hey, actually, if there's a character that can that can roll with that, Kang kind of actually makes sense. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I, I just want it to be, uh, the, the joke going around the internet has always been like, okay, and Terrence Howard shows up as Kang and says, that's right, it's me, deal with it. That guy doesn't have any problems in his background. No, at not at all. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, the Actually, the guy, uh, I'll just throw my fan casting out and, and, and comment below if you agree or disagree with me. John David Washington is my pick for Kang. Mm. Or mm. other one, also named John, and Star Wars connection, John Boyega would also be an interesting choice, I think. Oh, my. I don't think he would ever agree to be in a big franchise again, but I would love that. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know where he's sitting on that. I know he, whatever, if they make that Ray thing, he won't be coming back for that, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, the sequels burned him something hard, and he's and made his annoyance so. with it known. Not to relitigate, but once again, one of my big issues with episode nine is the Finn stuff for sure. Um, so no, they did him dirty. 
They definitely did. But also, I like to, to get a little bit more, you know, in-depth about it from a story standpoint. If this is a season about a guy accepting his place in a family, it makes sense that, a vi- that here's this villain who thinks he's so awesome, there should be a lot of him. Right. <laughs> right. Like that's the idea. This guy is the ultimate like because my favorite is when he just goes and the best part is they have me inside of them. Yeah. The only way I could improve the the dark trooper is by putting me in the armor. Me. <laughs> the coolest guy in the world. Moth Gideon. It's like, okay, Moth Gideon, you fucking tool. Get out of here. I love it. And like <laughs> I said, every moment you can feel Giancarlo Esposito just going like, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to crush this monologue. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really is. I mean, Giancarlo Esposito is one of those guys who's been around forever if you know if you're a fan of spike lee movies you've seen him in those ones from the 80s and do the right thing and stuff like that but there definitely has become in the last probably 10 years he has become one of our preeminent villain actors mm-hmm. uh no, for sure he is i mean gus fring is a big part of that right Gus Fring is one of tv's greatest bad guys ever i mean gus fring is so incredible but even like showing up in far cry 6 and being the villain or being the vought industry ceo in uh in the boys and things like that he's just there's lex luther in the harley quinn tv yeah man i mean there's just something about him he does what i love though is even within that moff gideon is this big boisterous you know, supervillain, whereas Gus Fring was this staid, calm, cool, steely character. Uh, he, the guy's got range even within his supervillain work. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I love that Star Wars still has a place for bombastic, insane bad guys. They don't have to just keep being like emperor clones, sometimes literally, sometimes metaphorically. I think that's the other thing, too, that that's one of the reasons why the shows are so appealing is they feel like they get to experiment more than the movies do because they can try something, and if it takes off, then they can lean into more of it. If Moff Gideon hadn't connected with people, then he would have been gone, probably. You know, like, that sort right. of thing where it's like, as, as as shows, it just feels like the movies, one of the big problems with, maybe not the sequel trilogy specifically, but I feel like a lot of, a lot of these things is they're so set in like, well, we got to get here. We, we got to do that. And you're going yeah. like, well, that's not necessarily where this feels like it's going. You know, I mean, it is bringing the Emperor back. You're like, that doesn't really make sense. And I'm not sure why you think that is the culmination of this. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, that's we're we're edging dangerously close to relitigating Rise of Skywalker. I'm, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the what what makes the shows fun is the fact that they can experiment. The fact that the Mandal the Mandalorian as a show came out of like, okay, we know what tropes built Star Wars. Let's lean into those in a way that doesn't have people swinging lightsabers. I mean, don't worry, we'll get to lightsabers eventually. The the iconic bit with Moff Gideon is the end of season one when he cuts his way out of that TIE fighter was just like, oh, shit. But it's the dark (laughs) saber, too. So once again, either you go, oh, they're continuing to pull on this thread that we know from the animated series, or once again, people like my dad going, "What is that? Mm-hmm. That thing is cool." You know that yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, Giancarlo Esposito also doing the voice of Baxter Stockman in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie coming out in August, so he continues his supervillain dominancy. No, absolutely, uh, and he's such a fun part of season three. But the fact that we have 
everybody back this season essentially is part yeah. of what makes it fun i mean that's the the fun of picard right is the fact that we have everybody except for cara dune um coming back to uh play some part even ig11 someone who literally exploded in season uh yeah one. uh no that's that's the thing exactly about it and it does feel like one well, the show's uh you know tv allows you to do that right tv is more about the ensemble of of stuff and I mean, it's always my thing about however good a plot of a TV show is. The reason we would come back week to week is because we love the people more so than the story needs to be good too. But it really is about I want to see my friends again, or the fact that you can take an entire episode to do uh, what became of the Empire scientists. I was going to ask you what you thought about that specific episode because something I loved about Picard, but like loved in opposite in the Mandalorian is Picard was very focused. We never, it was always kind of behind the shoulder of some member of the enterprise crew. We never really leave their point of view. Picard Mandalorian is, is way more meandery. Well, Picard is really a 10 hour movie, right? It really is. Yeah. It's, it's a Jean-Luc Picard movie. And so it basically is about Picard in almost every scene, or if not him, Riker or Seven or one of the other like main characters, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and 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 always my note is always more Worf. Um, but <laughs> I think he's. I think they use the perfect amount of Worf. Oh, and every scene of Worf is the best thing ever. I mean, like this has maybe my favorite Worf moments uh, ever in the show. I mean, he beheads the Ferengi in his introduction, so. The moment when he like begins to meditate on the original Enterprise Bridge, and then they catch him snoring, yeah, like that. He's not meditating. He's napping. Uh, he's the best man, and <laughs> and it 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 goes. And I know Dorn really was the most hesitant to come back, not because he didn't want to come back, but because he was like, I want to make sure I'm not repeating myself, but also make sure there's enough of the wharf people love. And so he was apparently of the group. He was the most like these are the notes I have about what wharf should be like because. Mm -hmm. You know, he's such a fan favorite, and I really want to make sure he's Worf, but a new Worf at the same time. And I think they, they did that beautifully. Uh, yeah. But the, the, the thing I was going to say about Picard is much more of a 10-hour movie. Mandalorian is more of a TV show in that when I would tune in, I didn't know it had a thread, but it was episodic around that thread. Yeah. And no, so I, I, love, I love that in modern TV, you can do episodes like that. I mean, you know, they don't always work, but... That one I thought was really interesting. I just love the idea, too, of, like, the Project Paperclip of the New Republic. Yeah, and Tim Meadows as, like, the, uh, Middle the man office manager. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love... That, that, that's something I do love in Star Wars, that anytime you get to see it is bureaucracy at work like that. I mean, it's one of the reasons I always bring up how much I love uh, Krennic in Rogue One, because he's the mm -hmm. main villain of that movie, but he's totally lost in the shuffle of the empire at large and he's just yeah. shit talked by Tarkin and Vader. And it's always just like, and like he dies and they probably went, who was that guy? Oh, right. Yeah. Well, that guy kind of <laughs> sucked. <laughs> he got crossed off a list somewhere. It's not like no yeah. blow to the empire that losing Krennic. They're like, Oh, that guy's gone. And that's actually kind of good. Jeff, you're in, you know, like I just right. love that. Not every reason they called the Death Star Tarkin's folly, not Krennic's doom or something. That that's it exactly. I just love the idea that not every character we see is the most important character in the world, and that some people mm -hmm. fit into that. And actually, that is more Star Star Trek is way because Star Trek is so much about procedure 
and stuff like that. So there, it's interesting that actually, in some ways, this Mandalorian season felt more like a classic Star Trek show in that way, where we were either going from planet to planet or changing perspectives. I mean, like Voyager would occasionally, you know, there are episodes where it's like, well, let's go to Earth and see Barkley looking for Voyager for a whole episode, you know? <laughs> I love those episodes, uh, you know? And I know some people don't because it takes away from the, but I, I just love Barkley. What that, are your opinions on the internal struggles of a Kazon boy trying to achieve manhood? Because let's spend an episode worrying about that. <laughs> well, if the Kazon are involved, we're in trouble. Um, <laughs> Even the writers of Voyager go, yeah, we, we just because they will just drift away in that show. <laughs> I know, I know. Anytime, anytime, I feel like anytime Star Trek tries to go, these are the new big bads, people are like, eh. They try so hard in the first couple of seasons of Voyager to make the Kazon the new uh, Klingons, basically. Yeah. And Before, finally, like every Star Trek show, going, ah, screw it, let's just do the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. So, yeah, the, the Pershing episode of Mandalorian Season yeah. 3 I found very interesting because of, like, yeah, the Operation Paperclip stuff and, like, the fact that the show slowed down enough to show us, like, okay... Yeah, this is why this New Republic isn't going to last. Well, it's 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 a classic thing about, and in reality, it's a thing about rebellions, right? That it's like, okay, you overthrow the government only to then realize, like, oh, shit, now we have to be a government, and that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it is sort of the cracks in the thing where, once again, they are seeding the world of the prequels better, where you're like, oh, so this is how the bad guys rose up, and this is kind of where, you know, our heroes are soldiers. They're not necessarily people who can run a government. Like, what is, I've always talked about that, like, what is a Han Solo doing in a world where the rebellion's over? That guy's not going to be helpful to the New Republic. Having a kid and eventually leaving his wife and child to go bum around with his old college buddy in space. I mean, yeah, <laughs> as much as I don't like that, it also kind of makes sense in some ways. Um, I do think, uh, I couldn't help but think that the Crusher Picard stuff was like, oh, here's a better way of handling the Leon stuff in Star Wars. I know, right? It, the Crusher Picard stuff, god damn, it felt so real, so... I mean, those two always loved working together, and a lot of the romance in that show didn't come from the scripts as much as it came from those two injecting that into scenes. They talked about that. That was something the writers were like, oh, I don't really want to go down that road. But Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden were like, we do. Right. No, and that's, like, I love Picard's line of just, like, I don't know, the fifth time we broke up? Like, I didn't expect it to last this time. I <laughs> love that so much where they finally just confirmed what I always thought, which is they were just doing it in the background of that show. Yeah, 100%. Like they, they just, like, just own it. They were an off-and-on couple. Because there are mm -hmm. so many episodes where it's like, I'm sorry, they're just having breakfast together in his quarters? Like, that's so intimate. You just we find uh, Doctor Crusher and Captain Picard poolside for reasons that won't be explained. That's exactly. They're always <laughs> together. Or I, I mean, my, one of my favorite episodes when Wesley gets in trouble at Starfleet Academy, and they you're gonna have to narrow that one down. Hmm? <laughs> you're gonna have to narrow that one down. I'm sorry. The one, yeah, the one specific where there's a, a deadly shuttle crash that Wesley is blamed for. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's called. It's an episode called "The First Duty." It's it's a great episode. Uh, it also has uh, Tom Paris, not as Tom Paris. Um, which is very interesting. Um, mm. They wanted Tom. <laughs> this is very shitty. They wanted Tom Paris to be this character in Voyager, but then they realized they'd have to pay the writer who wrote that episode every time Tom Paris is in it because he, due to WJ rules, you get a character oh, fee. And so they that's... went. You know 
because he is that character because Tom Paris is in prison for getting people killed in a shuttle accident that would have been that guy. Yeah. Huh. But they're like, we want the huh. same type of character with the same background played by the same actor, but we don't want to pay that writer anything. So we'll just so call his him. name is different. Yeah. 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 Shit. Very shitty. But sorry, in that episode, when Wesley's in trouble, it's Crusher and Picard that go and respond. And I'm like, they are his parents. Well, I mean, that's why there was that running fan theory that like Wesley was Picard's son that was just never confirmed. Actually, because we don't early know a ton family. about Jack Crusher. No, and we still know almost nothing about him other than he was Picard's buddy who died. And actually, there's a really good one shot that IDW did about Picard and Jack Crusher serving together. But it's still about like, I'm really hot for this guy's wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's still mostly about him and Um On that note, we got, we're, we're wrapping up here, but I do want to talk about Jack Crusher and the future of Star Trek because... Uh, there's a lot of people pushing for, and Metallus has already talked about, oh, I know what it is, uh, a show called Star Trek Legacy that would follow mm. the crew of the Enterprise G as left here with Captain Seven of Nine and Jack <sighs> Crusher. That was so good. I love the end of that. Plus, he got a little forge on the crew. Like, I love the little, like, next the next next generation that, bridge crew that we've set up here. That is what Terry Metallus really wants to do. He's going, please let Paramount know. And he goes, I have, I know what that show is. That would be the next, next generation. Uh, and, Patrick and Patrick Stewart is going, and maybe I could stop by and do some business. <laughs> Patrick Stewart went from, I don't think I'll ever put that uniform on again to, Oh, I'm not even done now. <laughs> I love it. We keep talking. He goes, he goes, if the writing stays this good, I'll keep playing him forever. I want him to show up on Lower Deck so bad, because we've had Riker show back up. We've Riker. had Tom Paris show up. We've had a lot of Tom people Paris show up on Lower Decks. Yes, we really have. Now, the thing about jumping from cartoon to live action, you know the Lower Decks people are going to be in an episode of Strange New Worlds this season. Yeah, I'm really curious. And I know Frakes is actually directing that episode, too, he, so yeah, I'm very I, curious about it. I read it. an interview with him where he just goes like, oh my god, it's so much fun. Um, but yeah, you have, yeah, we're getting, we're getting a uh, Boimler and, uh, uh, Mariner. Like, yeah. so, and it is going to be Jack Quaid and Tawny Newsom playing them in live action on gonna board, be weird. the Pike on board Pike's enterprise. I have no idea what to expect of that. That feels so like there's time travel involved. There's gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and apparently it starts in an animated scene from lower deck and then into that. So. Oh, so curious. Yeah, so curious about that. I will say it's another one where you're like, yeah, I mean, they, they, I do totally believe them as their characters in reality. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, I, I would love them to do more with that stuff. I, I kept waiting to see, like, a, cause technically Picard takes place after lower decks yeah. so i kept wanting to see like oh captain boimler somewhere in the background <laughs> or, or like oh there's a california class ship somewhere yeah 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 yeah, yeah. for sure because yeah i mean was it uh lower decks takes place like five years after next generation or something like that i think it's, no it's it's farther than i think it's was it five years after nemesis maybe I, I think it takes place i was just reading about this the other day i went down a deep rabbit hole in terms of like where the timelines are at because before any of the Paramount Plus stuff, Nemesis is as far into the timeline as the shows ever got. Nemesis yeah. After Voyager, because Janeway is an admiral in it. I'm pretty sure it also takes place after Voyager as well, because they reference. Yeah, uh, I think it's a few years after Voyager. Nemesis. 
Yeah. Yeah, Voyager so. is back. Spoilers for those who haven't seen Voyager, they do get home eventually. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then now we have Prodigy, which takes place vaguely in that way in the future. Well, it's not way in the future. It's it's in that it's in about the, it's not it's a little bit after Lower Decks. Because um, I thought it took place after uh, Picard. It could just be me, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's unclear because we haven't really dealt with the next gen characters, but it definitely deals with a Janeway as Admiral post, you know, Nemesis mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, Star Trek timeline gets a little wonky when you start like really digging into like when stuff is happening well it kind um, of it, it's because they do jump around so much in the shared universe it's like uh well it takes place after this but if we don't see picard then i have no idea if is it 10 years 20 you know it's like i, I if janeway's in it where is she in relation to any of this and now of course there's lots of talk about picard's been so successful they're like avery brooks get him on the phone let's do star trek cisco mm-hmm. I, would, I would which fight. i wouldn't be against yeah He's got to come so, back. So let's see. Okay, I'm on Memory Alpha right now. All right. Uh, it's uh, the show takes place specifically in 2380 after Star Trek Nemesis. Okay. Yeah. So that's just a little bit after Nemesis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's about what I thought. It's like it's it's because like the uniforms and stuff are like the uniforms after. It's the next generation of uniforms. Which, by the way, I love. I want one of those sweet. Uh, Starfleet leather jackets that they have on Picard. Those are cool as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Specifically, Stardate 57436.2. I believe it or not, as much of a Trek nerd as I am, I do not know how Stardates function. Um, I, I loosely understand them, but I couldn't tell you what that translates to, although you gave me the year. So it is, it's, 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 it's 2300s. Thanks only to the uh, memory alpha that I'm on right now. Yeah. Every once in a while, they'll give the year proper in Star Trek, but most of the time it's star dates. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know how those work either. And actually, I, I, I understand I one date system, John, and that's before or after the Battle of Yavin. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little, that is kind of how even Star Trek fans talk about, right? It's like, well, okay, uh, you know, uh, uh, the next gen takes place 80 years after Kirk comes back from his five-year mission in the mm. original series. So we know that. It's more how, yes, exactly. And actually, I will say, I've seen inconsistency in, surprise, surprise, how star dates function. Different shows oh. use them differently, of course. Shocking. The, yeah. the most recent rabbit hole I went down on Memory Alpha was figuring out where Bird of Prey comes from in terms of, mm. is it Romulan or is it Klingon? And the answer is, it's both because of an inconsistency. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Because so those... they wanted to use the Romulans in one of the movies and instead they used the Klingons, but yeah. they still kept the term Bird of Prey. <laughs> the Klingon Bird of Prey might be my favorite ship design in Star Trek. That green Bird of Prey rules mm-hmm. um, yeah, no for sure so uh to wrap this up i guess we'll just say like man good time to be a fan of both of these franchises things are are really uh, on tv specifically neither one can get a move i mean because as much as star wars also star trek can't get a movie off the ground i've heard like five different announcements about a fourth kelvin movie so yeah <laughs> I mean, for the longest time, Simon Pegg was going to be writing it again, and mm-hmm. that just never and ended up happening. Was directed at one point, then Molly <laughs> yeah. was going to direct it. Uh, then a, a, a woman from, uh, I think, the Breaking Bad directing staff was going to direct it. 
And then at a certain point, there was one point when Paramount literally had three scripts going, and they go, whichever one turns out the best, we'll do that one. Uh, and the thing I love, though, it's a great thing where every time I see an interview with any of those cast members, they go, we'd love to do it. We just, yeah. they have to call us. Like, Right. Now, especially after seeing the Dungeons and Dragons movie, I'd love to see Chris Pine back in that chair. Absolutely. Well, I do think that that, that might be a case where... Because, you know, the beyond underperformed, despite being the best of that group, uh, I think. Uh, maybe a Paramount Plus movie. Maybe do that as a streaming movie. Maybe do Dungeons and Dragons as a streaming movie. Maybe we're learning not everything can set the world on fire. Like you said, it's always <laughs> take a best guess. But it's, it makes me sad when something's as good as Dungeons and Dragons or Renfield and people don't go. And you're like, yeah, I think because it's just people... People just aren't going, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David Zaslov, who just the other day at CinemaCon goes, we don't believe in streaming movies at all at Warner Brothers. We're not going to do them, period. I'm like, well, then you're an idiot. It's it's a bigger conversation that I don't want to dive into no, no, yeah. right now. But like the reactions to specifically the Mario movie of like shitty people being like, well, this proves people are still going to the theaters, but for all the wrong reasons. I'm like, yeah. no, it's the Mario movie. The name recognition is what Ma draws people in. Mario, like I'm, I, I'm surprised people are surprised by how well it's doing because it is so multi-generational. Mario yeah. is so ubiquitous in pop culture from people our age to you know, 10 to 20 years older than us to 10 to 20 years mm -hmm. younger than us. It is, yeah. it is a true four quadrant thing. I also, being that people are going to the wrong reasons, I do think it is also a hard to replicate. It's like the Top Gun thing. What do we learn from that? Well, it's kind of a flash in the pan. You know, I mean, like, I don't know how you replicate these things. You can make a Crash Bandicoot movie, but nobody's going to give a shit. <laughs> I mean, some people will, but I'm talking about, like, even the Sonic movies, as successful as they are, aren't the Mario. Mario is a once in a generation sort of thing. Right. Like name your video game icon. Like if I made a, uh, a Mega Man movie, like it might be good, but it's not going to hit the same range no. as Mario. It's just the thing where it's like, and same thing with, yeah, Top Gun. Do we make more fighter pilot movies? No, people just want to see Top Gun. Do we make sequels to other 80s action movies? No, that won't go well either. You know, it's like, it's just, some things can't, they always try to learn a uh, like, how do we repeat? And it just, uh, it doesn't work. Yeah, no, look, we, and, we and all saw watch, what happened with Space Jam New Legacy, so. Exactly. And you watch now with Picard, they're going to be, dra I mean, this has been going on for a while, but they're going to be dragging out old stars of other stuff again. I mean, there is, we didn't talk, there is, just as a, as a note, there is a James T. Kirk Easter egg in this. What, the fact that? Oh, when they go to, uh, when they go to, uh, the uh the research base the second mm -hmm. 31 stuff i i freeze frame this so uh there is a body in stasis and it says captain james t kirk interesting and okay. shatner well, already shatner's always going i'm available anytime <sighs> put me back in coach <laughs> i'm back so there's already inklings of shatner's return we'll see um <laughs> I understand, like, there's already things where people are going like, ooh, ooh. Uh, I, I was very appreciative of the fact that the president of Earth was Anton Chekhov. That was great. Uh, also in that Section 31 sequence, the fact they got the guy who played Moriarty back made me very happy, too. That and was, we know we're getting a Section 31 show, which now, at this point, now that you're listing all the Easter eggs, it's I'm actually, hoping is... It's actually been, a, it's now a movie. Oh, okay. But it'll be a Paramount Plus movie, but it's now become, yeah, a Section 31 movie. Dang, I was just hoping it was Star Trek Warehouse 13. 
That would be cool. Although Section 31 really isn't worth <laughs> I know, it's I know. It's going to be Star Trek spies, which I'm totally on board for. Uh, so yeah, the, those, the, but the, but those are in good positions. Uh, the 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 star franchises at the moment, at least on TV. And if they're like making that, so. I'm happy. I'm, I'll be yeah. more than happy. I can't wait for Ahsoka. I can't wait for the new season of Strange New Worlds. Everything. Mm -hmm. great. The mm -hmm. teaser mm -hmm. for that came out. By the way, the teaser for both of those came out. They both look great. Um, yeah, the new strange. No, very new excited for both. Looks awesome. Uh, so that's that's uh, what we're talking about this month. Uh, next month on the show, we're going to be going to a different shared universe, a little uh, a little universe called the Spider Verse. Detective, Co oh, <laughs> Detective what? Detective Comics. It's the Flash, right? No, it's the Flash. <laughs> uh, no, well, I'm sure we'll have some content about the Flash, but um, the ne next month specifically, we'll be talking about uh, Spider Man across the Spider Verse. Woo! Will be our will be our June topic. Can't wait! Can't I'm wait. so pumped for that movie. But I do want to mention to people that we are starting new YouTube content because there's so much stuff coming out, especially this summer. We'll see how it won't be. A, there won't be on any kind of specific schedule. But we are starting a new thing called uh, Punch Up Goes to the Movies, and that mm. will start rolling out uh, either next week or the week after with our review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Yeah, so if you want that, we'll still be doing the monthly uh, stuff here, here and there yeah. on here on the on the feed. But if you want to get our more like up to date movie reviews and stuff, YouTube's the place to find. And so us. The, the, that will be an ongoing show of either long form ones with both of us, or it might just be Gregoni or I giving little short reviews of stuff. But that will be YouTube specific content. So make sure you like and subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate anyone who consumes our content any way they do, but that's going to be YouTube exclusive. So absolutely, uh, yeah. Sure uh, let us know in the comments below what stuff, upcoming stuff that you might want us to review. Whether it be John, myself, John, and myself. Who knows? Any combination of those three things. <laughs> Other, you know, yeah. It's gonna be <laughs> gonna be one of those three. So those are your options. <laughs> no, I'm sure we'll pull other people into those. Absolutely, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so that's but that is gonna uh, wrap things up for panel up this month. I've been John Campbell. And I will always be Mike Gergoni. Till next month, we're going to panel down. <laughs>